This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the traditional lands of the Karankawa, the Chumash, and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey, y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine Fury, a.k.a. the Blasian Blurred, the busiest mixed race by gendered bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom and two-time Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award winning podcaster in this podcasting game. This is uh, not a regular episode. This is, I'm still on hiatus. I, I'm not supposed to be recording, but... I've been granted the opportunity to share an audio file with you from a speaking engagement that I did last week. Uh, For the purposes of this recording and what I'm about to share with you, they have granted me permission to share it with you, but had asked that I remove the name of the organization and the groups that co-sponsored the event in the play of this episode. So while I have talked about what I was doing and some people might be aware For the purposes of this recording, what you're going to hear is bleeps whenever the organization is named or any of the co-sponsors. When they're named, it is also bleeped out. So, yeah, I I didn't expect to be able to use the file, so I'm really grateful for that. But I just wanted to make sure I set that expectation that that there's bleeps in it based off of removing the name of the the sponsors of the event. Uh, The reason why I was able to have this opportunity, though, is because of former guests, a.k.a. cousins of the Militantly Mixed podcast uh, from episode 26, Ginger, A Sense of Racial Capital and Mixedness, and from episode 124, Jason, Panoy AF. Uh, These two people who have been family of the podcast for quite a while have been actively trying to make an arrangement to have me come out to um, their organization's event for about a year now, but with Rona being what it was, um, you know, there was times when I just, it just like wasn't, didn't seem like it was going to be able to happen, but they managed to to get it uh, worked out so that I could participate in a virtual event with them. So I was still here in Houston, not out where the event took place, uh, but it was a really good discussion, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with y'all. Plus, it's, it's always weird to like hear yourself back when, because I'm the interviewer usually, and in this case, I was the interviewee, and uh, and yeah, it's just weird. Like some of these stories you've heard before, uh, but for me, they sound a little bit different when I'm being asked about them versus just sharing. So, hope y'all enjoy it, and uh, and thank you to Ginger and Jason and the unnamed sponsors of the event for letting me participate in uh in this because it was it was a lot of fun for me and um I really enjoy being able to to participate in it. 
Uh, I have a lot of stuff to update you on. Um, but like I said, I'm still on hiatus until May. So when I come back next week, I will update you on everything that I've been through over the last month. It has been a really crazy fucking uh, mental health hiatus. It was not restful by any means, but what it was was extremely productive for podcasting, for Militantly Mix in particular, and um, by Furious, kind of. And a future podcast that I will be talking to you all about next week, uh, majorly in, in the cases of those three things. Um, I will also be participating in a Blasian March action that will be happening in Los Angeles in May, uh, towards the end of May. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about that next week as well. As and, and That includes a live taping of Militarily Mixed. So if you're going to be in the L.A. area and interested in seeing a panel discussion for Militarily Mixed done in person, uh, save the date of May 20th, I believe, is a Friday. Sometime that evening, I will be uh, doing this live panel of Militantly Mixed, and uh, I will send, I will let you all know some more details about that pretty soon. So all my L.A. and greater Los Angeles area folks, if you, if you would like to see Militantly Mixed live in person, we're going to be able to do that in May in Los Angeles. Uh, and that's it. So without further ado, oh, this is weird because usually I say at this time, without further ado, please join me in welcoming our latest cousins to the Militantly Mixed family. But in this case, I'm the cousin being welcomed to somebody else's event. So yeah, I guess without further ado, here's the <laughs> here's here's the recording from the event that I did last week at a major university's mixed race affinity organization. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> And I'll see y'all next week. Don't forget to be your mixed ass selves. Peace. all year even if not more um ginger introduced me to charmaine a few years back and i've been sort of a lifelong listener at this point so i'm very i'm very excited y'all are in for a treat um she does a couple things in the her podcast and i want to kind of sort of uh, do that as well to kind of set the tone uh most of you might be on the campus so i would first and foremost want to acknowledge that um, we are sort of Zoom meeting up here, uh, and the Zoom uh, the campus sits on the traditional um, homelands of the people of the Council for the Three Fires, the Ojibwe, Potawatomi, Ottawatam, Odawa, as well as the Menomine, Miami, and Ho-Chunk Nation. So we wish to pay respects to those people, both past and present. present. And without further ado, um, I want to welcome y'all to um, militantly mixed the live zoom uh, meetup that we're doing right now um i guess charmaine with her show she with her podcast is essentially about race and identity from the mixed race perspective and <laughs> there's so much to unpack here but basically charmaine 
Fury, aka the Blazon Blurred, is the busiest mixed race, bigendered, bisexual, polyamorous, atheist, comic book nerd, cat mom, and two-time Asian American Podcaster Association's Golden Crate Award-winning podcaster in this podcasting game. Woo! I will let her take it away because if I turn off my camera, I think I might take a nap for a moment. But <laughs> please, please, please welcome um, Charmaine to our our meetup. Thanks for having me. You're you're the only person who's managed to say that. Um, I think this is the third time you've done it at this point, and I appreciate it because one other person did it, but everything was flubbed. So I appreciate hey. that you got through it. <laughs> I love it. I've been sweating bullets, and um, I need all that on a tee. So whenever you get, you know, to that that's stage. a good idea. Actually, <laughs> I'll put anything on a t-shirt. Yeah, I might do that. <laughs> Speaking of t-shirts. Be your mixed ass self. Uh, Charmaine, what does yours say? Mixed and hella black. Um, and both of those, the mixed, uh, be your mixed ass self is the that's the first year's t shirt. The first uh, time I put that out on a shirt, the slogan of the show. And then mixed and hella black, this is the second iteration. This is a fundraiser t shirt that I do for um, raising money for different black and mixed black organizations. Um, so the proceeds of the purchases of these shirts be your mixed ass self goes towards paying for the show and a mixed and hella line uh depending on what the ethnic group is attached to it those are the charity organizations that i i will donate funds to for those shirts yep yes and i'm gonna drop in the chat so again your podcast is militantly mixed um how else can people find you i know you've also through instagram are those uh things i should drop in the chat is there anything else yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm on tick. I'm on the tickety talks barely. I I kind of put stuff on there, but I'm really struggling because I'm 44 years old and I got bad knees. Um, I am on Twitter, and uh, and so you can find me either at militantly mixed on all platforms, pretty much, or um, Sir Auntie Main is my personal stuff. So if you want to see cats and food, Sir Auntie Main, and uh, and if you want to see my cosplay stuff, that's da blazion blurred uh on instagram and uh some of the other some of the other social medias but yeah nice i think i got them right in the chat so uh yeah great um and as we're going if y'all have uh questions please use the q a box or if you want to just put questions directly into the chat that's cool too or to one of us panelists all right jason i'll let you get get us started there yeah, I can get us started. I also briefly wanted to say that I wanted to thank the um, ERG groups that help um, made this uh, event possible. So um, ARC, which is the administration, um, administrative committee for staff, and as well as um, on the Asian side, the um, affinity group, we really appreciate you um, both co-sponsoring with us. Our ERG is So there's a lot to unpack with a lot that has been said already, but I think to get things kicked off, um, Charmaine, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and you know why you started the podcast? And I want to say it's either been five years or it's coming up, and I think you're even like I'm coming go... up on my fourth anniversary. Oh, okay, I was gonna say like I thought I heard that you were going to go into podcasting 100. percent Like um, yep. So. There's so much I want I want to learn about that. But <laughs> please, you know, feel free. Sure. I um so 
like like my intro is that I'm a very busy mixed race Blasian, uh, angry bisexual. I uh, I speak on behalf of mixed race identity issues and queerness. I started doing the podcast, especially well, militantly mixed is my very first show. I started doing the podcast because. I grew up very mixed. I have a very mixed life. Um, I lived with cousins and, and siblings that were all mixed. My aunts and uncles are all mixed. My parents are both mixed. I'm multi-generationally mixed. And I grew up in a military family. So I was always around mixed people. And then I grew up and moved to the suburbs and during high school and suddenly there weren't mixed people anymore and I didn't understand what was happening. Um, and then as, an, as I got further into adulthood, I, the amount of mixed people that I knew in my life that I wasn't related to got really small. And I, I just felt like I didn't, like this was the first time it really in my life that I felt like I didn't fit or I didn't have a tribe. And as I got a little bit older, um, there's one friend in particular who's my co-host on Blurred Comics. Uh, we've known each other since we were eight and we are for, both mixed and we've that's one of the things we've bonded over our entire life. And we started talking about maybe doing a documentary together or something before podcasts had really taken off. and. And then we were going to do a YouTube channel and then we decided to do a podcast, but he got busy. So I ended up just starting it on my own. And in the process of doing that, my goal was to try to create an archive of mixedness because there really weren't stories about the mixed people in our history in a way that I felt could have been meaningful for me as a mixed person growing up to know that like we existed and we did things. Um, and then, you know, later on in life, you discover people like Langston Hughes were mixed, or we've had multiple mixed parent, uh, presidents that aren't acknowledged as mixed and, and things like that. And if we had known that many people existed in our history were of mixed heritage then maybe we wouldn't have we wouldn't have felt so unusual or or that we couldn't accomplish things and so I wanted to create an archive of mixed narratives just by having conversations with people and as a service to my community a way for me to do work that didn't involve me having to speak to people face to face because I don't like to be <laughs> to be in crowds uh, and podcasting gave me a way to do that I could be anti socially antisocial and also connect to my tribes basically nice and so have you always like had a, a mixed ass self or like a mixed self identity because for me I discovered your show uh, very like late in life I would say but like I would I discovered your show when I was starting to explore my own mixed identity and really like leaning into it and claiming that term and I know not everybody likes the term mixed because it also implies like purity or impurity and some people prefer multiracial and so I identify as biracial or mixed um and yeah when I when I listened to your show I felt like oh my gosh there's like a community I, I felt like I don't know how many other people here today listen to podcasts, but I felt like, oh, I know this person. And like, these are my friends, you know, like you get to know the podcaster mm -hmm. and it felt like, oh, there's a community out there. I'm not the only one. These people have very similar experiences to me. And I felt so much less alone. And I felt like your podcast really helped me embrace that part of myself that I had been trying to ignore or deny and not think about. And so for that, I really thank you. Um, and I don't know if, if Jason has similar experience or if Charmaine, like you've always felt mixed and like always had that identity since you grew up around a lot of interesting that you say, well, I, I was uh, around a lot of military bases. So a lot, also around a lot of mixed people, which militarism kind of has a history in this area, but yeah, like, where did you come into your identity and start claiming it? 
I, so I guess I was always aware of mixedness in some form because um, my parents were two different colors and everybody in my family was, was different in some form of, from each other. Uh, I didn't really understand uh, the race thing until third grade is when I experienced my first race racist moment, which uh, a lot of people on my show kind of somewhere between second and fourth grade is when they have their first major uh, awareness about race being issued. Um, and I went home and ex asked, told my mom what happened to me. And I asked her, you know, like, what, what does this mean? And, um, and from there, I became aware that the reason my parents were two different colors were because of this, you know, race concept. And so after that, I was aware that I was a mixture of multiple things. I, I, you know, I always knew like that my grandmother was Japanese and we were Japanese when we were at her house and I was black everywhere else. And, um, and I was aware that people would talk about me being mixed and stuff like that when I was growing up around um, Black community, but I was always owned by Black folks. So I really thought of myself as, as a Black person who happened to be mixed for most of my life. And then when I moved out of the neighborhood that I grew up in, which was predominantly Black, I and I was around white people really for the first time in my life. I, I only have one white relative that I grew up around, my, my British Nana. Uh, my grandmother. And um, so I, I'm not used to being around white people. Generally, I didn't, I went almost 15 years before I was around a lot of white people. And uh, I became very aware that I was no longer black. I was something else. And because they didn't see that I was black, black people could see that I was black, but they couldn't, the other people couldn't see that I was black. And so that's when I became mixed, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, before that, like, I just had the understanding that I was a mixture of multiple heritages, multiple races. But I, until I moved to the suburbs when I was 15, 16 years old, that's when I became mixed. Uh, and so from then on, the, the, the bonds that I would have with other mixed people were about the fact that we could all commiserate over the fact that we had different colored parents and that people didn't always take our fill in the blank races seriously. So if I was trying to be around, if I was trying to join the Asian group at school and they were like, mm, but you're not really Asian though, then I was like, all right, well, now I need to go talk to someone else who's like me so that I can feel normal. Um, where that didn't really happen to me on the black side. I was always black. Um, but when I, I struggled to try to identify with my Britishness, identify with my Asianness because I wasn't seen as one of them really. Um, so it was easier to be either black or mixed black. It was harder to be other things. No, I see you. I, I see exactly where you're coming from. I, I was actually trying to think about the student groups that I joined um, early on. Like what comes to mind is like, I think I was in the mathletes at one point, which you know, I don't know if I necessarily want to promote that, but um, I also play basketball. So it was kind of like, what group can I kind of attach myself to? And it actually wasn't until I was at been here for like seven years that I found this this um, mixed staff group that I can kind of like share stories with a little more intimately. And one of the the people that joined the meetups basically kind of said the whole like, you don't have to like state percentages, you know, like when you mm -hmm. state your race, right? Like right. I, I, I always grow up like saying, you know, I'm, you know, 50% Filipino and then 
yeah you know this that and the other and then it's like no you don't have to like actually state the recipe or the ingredients you could just say you're all this you're all that so it's a part of the journey i think it's a like everybody goes through it you go through your percentage period and then you kind of go through and i guess to answer ginger's question from earlier like the reason why i say mixed is because that for me eliminates the need for the percentage um, whereas like, you know, there's still people that come on my show or, or people that I talk to that'll be like, I'm a quarter this and, um, you know, half that or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's part of the journey. You eventually get to the point that you can be your mixed ass self and whatever that means to you is great. But, um, I think everybody's got to go through it, you know, while you're trying to figure out how you identify and it's fluid. So it can change at any time, you know? And I think it's, uh, the percentages come from the hypo descent, which, is a white supremacist notion, right? So mm -hmm. like the um, uh, two thirds being two thirds a person. And if you yeah. have this much black in you, then you're black. And like, this is, you know, a historical American idea and construct too. So right. I, I'd like to, you know, just cast off anything that contributes to white supremacist ideals myself. So I try not to use those, those percentages as well. Um, so what have you learned from doing this podcast? I know you already dropped a few gems, but like, I've learned you know. so much. <laughs> I, when I started the show, I was like, listen, I was mixed main. You couldn't tell me nothing about being mixed. I had it all down. Like I, 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 I knew that we were all one big monolith of mixed people. and We were the exact same. Uh, because the people that I grew up around were all military mixed kids. So like on my dad, both of my grandfathers were Air Force. They both went to different countries. They both found a different color bride and brought them here. You know, like everybody I grew up around had that same experience. So that's why I really thought about mixedness and very monolithic, um, you know, American imperialism kind of terms and stuff. And then as I started to do the show, almost immediately people were telling me stories and I was like, wait what like you know like you just you only are around your white family but you're black like how do you, you know like there was so many things that would happen over or close to time that I was so confused by and and it started to just strip away at what I thought mixedness was and what you know my understanding of it and so a unique position that I'm in from other people on this planet is that I can listen to myself from episode zero to episode whatever I'm at now and um, I hear myself change and hear myself grow, hear myself stop using a word, you know, like white passing and start using white assumed or white presenting. Um, you can hear it sometimes me thinking like, no, that's not really the way mixed people do things. And while talking to someone early on and then a couple episodes later, I'm like, and we all know, and I've now switched my entire perspective based off of the things because I it's about listening, right? So um, for me, I think the, the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway, which was something I, I feel like I, I picked up by like the 10th or 11th episode was that I was, I did actually have more in common with mixed people in general than I necessarily had with people from my direct ethnic groups. So with the exception of, of black folks, I mean, I grew up black. I grew up in Long Beach. I, I, I grew up in the black church. I, I grew up never having to question my blackness. I did grow up having to question my Japanese-ness and I did grow up having to try to quietly claim certain British things because my whiteness is not just American whiteness. My whiteness is very specifically a British um, kind of whiteness. And, and so there's little things that I claim there and I would kind of struggle with that a bunch. But every time I talk to someone, they give me a dose of something that I, I, I haven't experienced 
or a perspective that allows me to open up so I can see what other people are experiencing. And then once I absorb that, I'm able to use that to, um, because my show is kind of accidentally therapeutic, you know, because especially if I've had guests that have never talked about their mixedness ever to anybody, if they, if they down talk themselves or something like that, I can immediately jump in with like, we're not doing that because what we're doing is we're a whole person. We just happen to be mixed, you know, like I can do stuff like that, that I wasn't really um, skilled yet in doing before. And then, um, and then it's just really just like finding out the difference between if your mom was a person of color, but your dad wasn't, or you're a, per a mixed person of, of color on both sides, but they're different, you know, there's, there's so many different um, ways that I've, I've experienced people that it's not a, not an episode goes by. I haven't figured something out. So Sherman, yeah. I love this idea that you're, you're learning through this podcast because even before you start, you started, you're like, I have this all figured out. You know, I will sort of be the mixed guru <laughs> as it were. But um, the biggest learning I thought when I was listening to your show, and I know you're almost at, you know, 200 episodes, um, you're on your way anyway, um, mm -hmm. was, so you won the two um, Asian um, podcaster awards from, mm -hmm. um, from that association. The Asian American Podcasters Association. Thank you, right. Mm -hmm. um, the Golden Crane Award. So last year it was for best Asian culture stories. So yeah, <laughs> that was a lot of awesome. That was stories. wild for me. That was so validating for, for a person who really struggled with Asian identity, like, and still continues to do so. And even just now, like I kind of tear up thinking like, because the, the award says best Asian, there's other words, but I see best Asian. <laughs> It's best Asian cultural stories and experiences. But when I look at it, I see best Asian and I'm just like, I'm the best Asian. Um, it was a bit, it was a big deal. The first one I got was related to my logo. That was the previous year. And that was also a super emotional experience because I had to change a problematic aspect of my logo and um, to get acknowledged after that was a big deal. But yeah, getting acknowledgement from Asian American groups was a big deal because I've struggled so long with my Asian identity. Um, yeah, that was a big deal. Can you share what happened with the logo? So I'll share the images because I feel like this was an interesting moment for you, maybe. Yeah. Like, what did yeah. this experience, what was it like to learn about this? And here I'll share the, the images. So I, I, I'll talk first about what the, what the logos mean. So the, the, these logos are, are what I describe as a graphic self-portrait. And what I created was, and, and I sketched this out, and then I had someone who actually had art talent create it for me. But I made what looks like a military badge because I had two air, you know, my grandfathers were in the Air Force, and they, you know, used that to go find their different color brides. And uh, so I made like a military patch that um, with the black power fist, because I've always been, you know, fairly radical or militant within my blackness and service to my black community. Um, the yellow hand is doing the peace sign and the peace sign actually crosses over all my cultures because on the Japanese side, it's meant for victory. Um, you know, on the American side, it's meant for, for peace. And then if you flip it over on the British side, it's, it's, it's the bird. Um, and so it's like something that kind of crossed over all my, all of my things. And then behind it, I have the rising sun, which is the, the Japanese, um, flag. But what this specific rising sun is, is the naval ensign 
flag, which is a military flag, which I had, I had them around my house growing up. So I don't associate it with what it is associated with. So this was a learning experience for me. This is the, this is the flag that flew across all of Asia as Japan was conquering and colonizing Asia. So when Koreans see this flag, when Chinese see this flag, when Filipinos see this flag, they're looking at the enemy flag. They're looking at the swastika or the rebel flag that the Confederates have claimed. That's what they experience when they see this. That was not my experience of this flag because I, that's not what I was taught about it. Um, so this was the logo that I used for the first two years of the show. And I received one message, just one single message, and that's all it took uh, from a, a mixed Korean person who says uh, they've been listening to the show for a long time, and they really don't think that it's um, uh, intentionally ignorant on my part, but maybe just accidental, you know, ignorance, uh, that I would have that, that particular rising sun symbol behind my logo and what that would mean for them. So what that would mean to other Asians specifically. And so... I thought about it I, for like a, a second. I did, I got on the Google because Google's super free and I started to read more about that specific image and, and what that image means in the rest of Asia. So within the next hour, I had uh, announced that I was going to pull my logo and I was going to be working on um, changing it based off of this message. And it, it's not like it was just that person's message, but it was what the message was that essentially me having that there, no matter what it meant to me, it was being seen from other Asians potentially as hurtful, harmful. And maybe I was missing out on um, a broader mixed Asian audience because they're looking at that and they're like, oh, she's just a Japanese imperial, you know, type of person. Um, and I was really emotional about it. I, I cry about it on my episode talking about it. Um, and, but I went back to the artist that helped me craft this one. And I was like, I need to change it up. And this was the, the current logo that you see now. I think honestly, I would have been happy with this logo too, had that been the first one that I created. And, and honestly, it does look more military patch style anyway which was the which was the goal so now the same the same things are being represented here it looks like a military patch um it says militantly mixed it has the stars it has a very you know military style thing which is the foundation i don't become a mixed person if not for these two men that were in the military and went to other countries to get their brides um, now i'm using the current japanese rising sun which is just the red disc and um, which actually is always been the flag since since Japan was acknowledged as its, as a as a uniform country, they've always used this, the solitary disc, but it was the naval military that used the other um, the rising sun. And then I kept the, the black power fist I kept the peace sign and the reason why it's on a white background also is because while I do have two white grandparents and, and there is a lot of whiteness in my family. I, it's in the background because I don't know those people. Um, so my everything of color is on top of, of the white. So it's every aspect of these logos are very specific and very intentional. Um, but I'm, I, I made that switch. And then later that year, I received an award for this podcast logo art. And they didn't even know the story. They just liked the logo. Um, and so I told the story as part of my acceptance speech and the whole audience like was really floored it became a big topic within the organization when like we have these monthly meetings and stuff like that too it became a frequent topic about the importance of being able to adapt when you discover something 
about yourself or about what you're doing that might be problematic or might be harmful to others. And, and how it's, for me, it was no question. I immediately had to change it. I couldn't just sit on it. I had to change it. And so that's what I did. Yeah. And you bring so much of yourself to your podcast. Like you were saying, like you cried, you got emotional and being vulnerable with how you're feeling um, is really difficult to do, but also being vulnerable with like admitting, oh, I'm growing and I'm learning. I think yeah. that that's really difficult, but so important. And I appreciate how you model that for your listeners too. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough because it was almost like, because I consider it a graphic self-portrait, it's like, I have to change myself. You know, like it, it was, it, it, it was a tough, like couple of weeks, like adjusting to, I didn't want to think I was harming people intentionally or unintentionally, right? Like I'm not actively out there trying to hurt people. And so to find out that you're unintentionally hurting people, that, that sucks. Like it's, it just, and like I said, it was only one person, nobody else ever said anything about it, but it was enough for me um, to acknowledge the thing. Like if, cause I just put it into, cons- into, the pros- uh, into the position like that, because I do have some German ancestry too, way back if I decided to claim my German ancestry with the swastika and be like, it's fine. It's just for my heritage. It's historical, you know, yeah. like, no, it doesn't fit. So why is this any different? And that's why I had to make the change immediately. That being said, you still see the Naval ensign all over and uh, especially Western art really loves the Japanese rising sun. Um, so you, you still see it all the way, all the time, but it's still, it's one of those things that for me, I couldn't do it. I couldn't keep it going. Yeah, and um, for those of you that have joined us today, please feel free to drop some comments in the chat or questions. I see Alexandra's given us um, different identity models and I'm I'm not familiar with it, so I'm interested to look at it afterwards. So thank you very much. Um, Also, you know, you do have over 180 episodes, which is a lot. I was on episode 36 in like Mm -hmm. 2019, right before I joined Kellogg actually. Jason is on, 124 I kept I was texting Jason last night I'm like what episode are you on and he's like oh I'm, I'm listening to this episode here and I'm like no but like what episode are you on oh yeah what are goes, you I'm, on <laughs> I'm listening to this episode and he screenshots it for me I'm like no 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 <laughs> which one are you a guest so he's um uh, 124 and so I'm wondering I, I'm assuming you've seen trends among the conversations you've mm-hmm. had and what themes have you noticed about like the unique challenges that mixed folks tend to struggle with that others don't? And we're, I mean, I'm just talking about race, but if you want to bring in like other identities too, but um, unique challenges for mixed folks that tend to struggle with that maybe monoracials don't. Yeah. So for me, my tends to, they tend to clump. Like I think someone hears somebody's story and that's when they reach out to me because they're like, oh, that sounds like me. And so they want to share. So in the beginning, they were kind of clumping together. So I was getting a lot of uh, black, white, biracials uh, who were raised by their white side of the family and like their lack of access to tangible blackness was a big thing in the beginning. Um, And it's still become, it's still a thing uh, because what's different from my generation to the generation that is coming of age right now is that with the internet, identity has been a big thing their entire lives. And so they're actually accessing their identity questions a lot earlier than someone my age or older would have. Um, Because the generation that precedes me, they would say they were just black, let's say, because the one drop rule that was created because of white supremacy was something that we adopted and owned it. And we were just like, "You're, you're one of us, you belong to us. And so a lot of my 
older friends that are um, black, white, biracial, they identify almost solely as black, even though even if they grew up with their white parent, because that's the way they maneuver, that's the way they are treated and experience life as, as a black person. My generation, and also because of my ambiguity in, in my presentation, I, I experienced being owned by black folks, being not owned by Asian folks, and so I have to claim mixed because I'm ambiguous. If I was more obviously black, I probably would just claim black and then tell people, well, I have a Japanese mom, you know, stuff like that, which is what most of my black, white, very racial friends that are my age do is they'll say, you know, I'm black, but I got a white mom or something. So a lot of things like that was happening throughout the show. Uh, and then I would get into like I was talking to you, I think before we we pressed record is um, the white Asian experience where so many of the white Asian folks that have been on my show will tell me ahead of time, you know, I'm, I'm white presenting or I'm white passing. And I really struggle with like, I feel more Asian, but everybody treats me like a white person. And, you know, I, I feel feelings like that. And so that would be the thing that would make me set them up for a recording and stuff. And I'd get them, they'd turn the camera on, I'd get them online. And I'd be like, oh no, this is an Asian person. I thought I was talking to a white passing. So I'm like looking through my notes thinking I'm being unprofessional because I've pulled the wrong person's, oh, wow. you know, information. <laughs> and then they would say their name and I'm like, wait, but you said you were white passing, you know, and then you would end up getting pinned. And that's so I it start. it's a joke, but I I say it so often now where someone comes on and they'll be like, yeah, because I look white. And I'm like, but your face like but your face quotes, <laughs> but your face has been a thing I've said to multiple mixed Asians where whiteness is the is the other part of what they are. Um, I probably and- fall into that category. You're, you're, you're in that category. Like, you're in oh, that I'm category. White passing. I'm white because I grew up with white people and not any Asian people at all until like later in my adulthood. So I, I'm like, yeah, I'm white passing because that's how I feel. That's how, but then a lot of people like you might say, no, you aren't at all. And <laughs> I, I have to acknowledge that me being a mixed person does make me try to sniff out mixedness in other people. And so I, I have a better eye, I assume, for identifying mixed people than you know, the average monoracial person who may, maybe has a very monoracial life. Um, but in my case, like I like I look at someone like you and I can't understand how someone doesn't detect both Asian-ness and whiteness in your in your face. Like I really, I struggle with it even now, even as I try to be like, yeah, I get it. I, I see mixed people more. I get it more, you know. Um, uh, other themes that have happened is, you know, especially if the, if, um, black, white, biracial people have a white mother versus having a, a black mother, the way they understand their blackness and the way they maneuver as mixed black people is, tends to be really different from each other. Um, or any mixed person who was raised in whiteness, the way they access their of colorness sometimes, and in not every case, of course, is very white supremacist oriented without them realizing it but that's because of the environment they grew up in the people that they grew up around so you're you're like almost in my case I'm almost teaching and not because I'm the person who's supposed to do this it's not my job but I get asked to like teach them how to be a person of color because they've been taught reared and uh, educated by white supremacy in a different way than I am educated by white supremacy. I'm white. I'm educated by white supremacy as a person of color. Um, they are educated by white supremacy as a person of color that is not acknowledged by their own families as a person of color. And so that ends up being a big thing that happens on the show is 
you know, I become an accidental uh, validator, an accidental educator on like how to be mixed, you know, and that's just not what I thought was going to happen. But um, mine being the first mixed show, there was a there was a few shows before mine, but they there was a gap of like over a year between the last time someone had posted an episode and when I started my show. So me being like the first mixed race show that was steady and ongoing, um, I've I've been given uh, been given an honorary degree, I guess, in like teaching people what it means to be mixed. Well, I think so. I used to be a researcher, and this would be the next area I would go into is mixed race uh, studies, which has kind of grown in the last fifteen years or so. But it, there's not as much about it as there's, you know, monoracial things. But um, your podcast serves as basically qualitative data. Yeah. Like if I were still researching, I would see if there's a way to use the catalog as yeah. qualitative data to draw out these themes scientifically in a systematic manner because it get, you interview people with all sorts of different backgrounds mm -hmm. and mixtures and um, really- I've had, I've had some people request certain things for me too. And I, I mentioned in a few people's um, dissertations and things like that because, and they're in their final works because they've used like say a handful of episodes or something mm -hmm. to build their research off of. So um, I'm not unopen to it. I, I absolutely want to be of service in that way if I can, but um, it's it's something that I didn't know to even ask would people care mm -hmm. about like as I'm bringing. And even as I work on my own book, um, you know, eventually I'm gonna have to reach back out to them as people and say like, I'm you're, you're gonna get referenced or at least what you talked about was, is gonna get referenced is that, are you cool to sign up for that? Because you did sign up to be on a podcast, but you might not have signed up to be in a textbook, you know? Um, yeah, that's, it's, there's been a lot of that. And I'm, I'm happy to participate in that now. It's just not something I expected when I signed up to, to start doing this. Honestly, I was trying to Pokemon mixed friends. That's why I started the show. <laughs> it just turned into this like life affirming, like, um, therapy that I didn't expect was going to happen and and so now like I did kind of have a fantasy of becoming professionally mixed and uh now yeah. I am yeah your last episode <laughs> I don't know if it was the soap but yeah it was yeah you're professionally mixed basically, basically so yeah I have a couple questions here um there's a question um from one of our attendees too that kind of goes into this I'm wondering um, you just mentioned some of the themes of struggle and wondering what, what is out there, what are folks doing to support people who have mixed race experiences? And then also like what kinds of advice might we have for, for people who have children who are mixed? And specifically, I don't know, we should probably read this, this question when we get to that. Yeah, they, so I am a huge advocate for therapy uh, across all all boards. I, I openly talk about my um, depression and anxiety issues on the show as well, but specifically as it affects mixed children. Um, and this is regardless of whether or not you're multi-generationally mixed or, um, you know, interracial parents, um, especially with interracial parents, though, your job is to help your child form their identity, not inform their identity and so you're to be able to do that you need to understand what the other thing they're mixed with 
experiences and goes through. And you're just not going to be able to do that being a regular ass person. The way you need to do that is to immerse, immerse yourself in those opposite you know, cultures and things like that. And a lot of interracial couples just tend to continue to be what they are. And like, you've got your you know, let's just use black, white, biracial as the, as the example, because this is what comes up so often. You got your black parent telling the child they're black. You've got your white parent telling your child, you're just like me. So they're not telling them you're white. They're saying, you're just like me. You're from me. You're just like me. And this is really common. It comes up all the time on my show. Um, so what those white parents need to be doing is understanding and immersing yourself where you are the person that is the minority in the space, but you got to do that carefully. So you have to, if your child, if you have a mixed black child and you don't know how to take care of that child's hair, guess what you need to do? You need to go take classes on how to take care of your mixed child's hair. You need to understand products that they can put in their hair. You need to understand not to use a brush that you would buy for your hair and stuff like that. That, that is something that is your job. And, and both parents need to do this, but in particular, the white parent needs to do it because nine times out of 10, when we see a mixed kid out there on the streets and their hair is a mess, the first thing we say is they have a white mama because that is just like historically been a thing. So what I suggest is really getting family therapy that is with um, therapists that specialize in mixed race identity, which is starting to be a thing. Um, I usually personally hype Dr. Jen Noble because she's someone I know personally through the show and have become friends with in real life, but she has a, her entire practice is dedicated to that. So she has two two aspects is one is as um, being therapy and educating family therapy for the interracial parents and then a separate therapy for the inter the mixed race children so she does both sides of that thing and then they do group sessions sometimes and she also has um, a new product out that is a mixed race journal where the family works together to kind of understand and identify different things that those children are experiencing that those parents need to learn how to do um, and then there's other mixed race therapists that are out there too that focus on different things so like um, Brittany George is out there and she focuses mostly on mixed race women um, and how they maneuver and stuff like that. So I would say, you know, get on the Googles and try to find those mixed race therapists that do in particular family therapy. And then um, put yourself as, as the monoracial parent, put yourself in, in the positions in which you are the minority of a space so that you can identify with the experiences that your child will identify with. Um, but why I say be careful with doing that is because like, you know, a white person coming into a predominantly black space can mean a lot of different things if that white person is not uh, respectful of the space. And there's a thing that is not necessarily intentional that like white people are comfortable taking up space. They're educated to take up space. They have no reason to not take up space. So when they go into a space that is predominantly POC, they don't get why they're looked at funny or they're made to feel uncomfortable. And that's because they've just changed the tone of the room. So they have to be aware that, that there are some safe spaces to enter as a white person going into a brown space. And there's some places that they should not go, but they might should allow their children to go into those spaces. And so you also need to find people that you trust to be with your children in spaces like that. Um, it's something I do advocate for very highly and I'm happy to entertain questions on email over that as well too, because um, what's different about this generation of children that I did not experience is parents who have the opportunity to be educated on how to raise mixed kids. Whereas I had two mixed parents that didn't know what the hell they were going through because their parents didn't do it for them. 
And so I had the same experience that a lot of um, interracial people have, which is, you know, you're black when you're with me, you're Japanese when you're with me, you know, and it's, that's very confusing for a child to try to figure out who they are if both parents are telling them that they're different things. Yeah, and I also think um, if you yourself are, are a parent that, like, for example, you were saying like the white mom with uh, the mixed kid who's white black, if, if you're the white mom, you don't have to learn how to braid hair, but make sure there's somebody who can, you know? Yeah. So like, like draw upon community resources so yeah. that your child is, able to be their full selves and not yeah. like kind of siloed into this one. Yeah. You definitely don't need to learn how to braid, although it would be beneficial, but you do need to learn how to care for their hair at home. They need to wear bonnets when they go to sleep. They, you know, like there's things like that, that, that parents will just wait for them to figure out. And that's not okay. Like it's not okay. And it actually causes damage that they end up having to deal with in their adulthood. If only someone took care of their hair when they were children, someone who knew what they were doing took care of their hair when they were children. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's, that's a big one for me. And, um, and I just need parents of mixed children to, I, I think it, I think it's intended positively. I think they're saying like, you're like me, you're, we're the same, but think about a scenario like Dante, Wright When he was murdered by the police, the white mother said, I thought my whiteness would protect him. You don't want to, you, you don't want that to be the story. You, and that child didn't need that to be the story because what that did was deflect on the away new in, in the news it deflected away from the fact that 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 person was murdered by the police and it be end up becoming you know white white parents of these mixed kids you know they're suffering and yeah I mean I'm not saying that there's that woman isn't suffering but that wasn't the priority of that story so I think you need to be really careful that you end up putting your children you give your children a false sense of safety in places that they may not be safe because you're telling them they're like you. And I understand that the intention is heartfelt, but um, a lot of times, some of the mixed people that I've either met or been friends with have had experiences who have white parent, a, at least a white parent. And the way they deal with those moments puts, puts everybody in danger in a way that those of us who don't have white parents don't put ourselves in danger. It's, um, it's an awareness that people of color have that white people don't. And some mixed kids are, are taught how to not be aware that way, accidentally. Um, yeah, so and yeah. Um, being mindful of time, um, I think we need to move on from this question. Um, I, I will say one more thing about it is, I think one really important thing is to not dismiss your children's concerns. Yes, so when absolutely. it does come up in like the, the second to fourth grade time period, mine was when I was four years old, might be unique I don't know um but to not dismiss or minimize their concerns Absolutely. about their mixedness or race in general and then and with the you fit in everywhere you fit in here you fit in there like also like listen to them like listen, listen to, to them, them validate their experience and help them find other kids or communities that might have yes absolutely and 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 by and please 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 do not ever best of both worlds them it is the <laughs> most like unhelpful and really stressful thing to experience because it's only filled with stereotypes it's based off of stereotypes it's so damaging and people think it's sweet and it's just so terrible <laughs> um, so jason do you want to we have some questions coming in which is great i, I love that y'all are dialoguing with us um jason why don't you go ahead with the next one yeah we have another one in the chat and 
if anybody can still stay after one, please do so. But this time is flying by so fast. I love talking with Charmaine here. So the question is, I'm wondering to what extent to you, sorry, to what extent do you incorporate critical thinking of the systems of power that structure and that attribute meaning to race versus trying to deal with the identity complexes that stem from it? So I would say, I want to I would, respond to. Okay. <laughs> I would say that for the purposes of the show, um, it's mostly that I'm conversational about people's identities because I'm I'm trying to create a safe space for people to feel comfortable to share their identity and the identity questions that go on. Um, but in my personal life, or or if I'm inviting invited to speak, that's where um, you know the more critical aspects of the of um, the systems that are in place that cause some of these problems that a lot of us experience that that's what I probably get more into that and then in my daily life I, I can't avoid it. I can't step away from the fact that I um I am and well I'm an ambiguously brown person but I I experience a very black life I live in a black neighborhood I have black owned businesses that cater to black people and I the experiences that I witness on a regular basis like I'm 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 constantly being having having to talk about like the fact that it is the system in place that is creating these problems for the people that I get to see on my daily life. But uh, for the purposes of the show or the individual episodes, I would say that I'm more focused on the individual's identity and that and while I am there to talk, that's my time to listen because I need to understand their experience so that I can be a better interviewer and also, um, again, you know, it's accidental education accidental therapy for me to to grow in in terms of like what other people's mixed race experiences are like I hope that answers the question I think the existence of mixed people is like in the same sense that um folks queer gender we're queering race like you know the power system is very structured and it's in a monoracial mindset and so when we exist in these like spaces of alterity and like these liminal spaces, like that is our lives are challenging the systemic, you know, yeah. way of thinking about race. But I wonder, Charmaine, if kind of going along the lines of this question, if you notice anything, any patterns with people who are dual minority or like their multiraciality, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have any whiteness or like is um you know they're not white at all yeah but they're also not monoracial if there's differences between those folks versus people who do have like a white parent or have whiteness in them yeah so I mean my case is a little strange because I mean technically ethnically I am black Japanese and uh British white uh but I maneuver as a by uh, by ethnic, I guess, bicultural person, black and Japanese, right? Um, predominantly. So I, I, and then I'm also the, I'm, while I'm not the direct child of an immigrant, I was raised by my grandmothers. So I have child of an immigrant upbringing, right? So in my experience, the way I maneuver is as a black and Japanese person, not a black, white, biracial or a white or Asian, white, biracial or anything like that. So, um, my experience with white supremacy or different systems are as a fully brown person, fully brown. And whereas, you know, someone who does have white in them will have different things. On um, the, the pe people that have been on my show that are, let's say, um, 
uh, South Asian and Black or um, Iranian and Filipino or something like that, where, where it's, it's two kinds of brown. They're, in most of those cases, at least on my show, they have also been either first generation or second generation um, Americans. So they, they're being introduced to the, the weird systems that we have here related to white supremacy, but they're doing it again as a fully brown person. So, so the, like I mentioned earlier, how like a mixed white and black person who's raised by their white family might put themselves or put the group in danger accidentally in certain scenarios because they were raised with like this, this filling up space thing that white people are comfortable doing because of the way they have access that we don't have access. Um, a fully brown multiracial person doesn't really have that kind of thing. And so it's a question more of like, who are they, who are they going to, and forgive me for the term, because I don't mean it this way, but perform as in those spaces. Um, like, are they going to be Sri Lankan in this moment? Or are they going to be Jamaican in this moment or something like that as a way to separate themselves from the like the idea, like, let's say if a police pulls them over and they're like, oh, I'm not black, I'm Jamaican, or I'm not black, I'm, you know, Colombian or something like that, but they're Afro-Latin or something. It's a way of them trying to separate from the systems that we have here. And that is, uh, it's one of those things of picking and choosing what do you think is the most safe in these moments? But then there's different ways of in a, in a low stakes kind of, kind of thing of, um, of, uh, like code switching because of food or code switching because of uh, a casual thing. What it, it's just the way that it happens with people that are fully brown versus people that, um, that are mixed with white is, is like, I mean, some of us just adopt a immigrant moment or will adopt a, you know, I'll switch between Japanese and black all day depending on where I'm at. And, and sometimes it's for safety and sometimes it's for comedy. Sometimes it's for food, you know, or sometimes it's because I just hope that this Japanese person hears me request a food item and says, you know, you say that well, and I'm just like, thanks. You know, I, you know, things like that happen that I don't, I, I just think it's slightly different from the people who experience a, like a white and fill in the blank race yes. um, life. And I think you bring up the the point and we've kind of danced around the idea that like how others perceive us is mm -hmm. very integral to how we identify like yeah I just wanted to be white like that's it full stop for a long time but mm. I kept on being perceived as not, not just white and so I'm like well I guess I should be not just white now and so yeah. and but it's the same thing like interactions with police and, and things that you've talked about um the way people perceive us really I influences identity we only have five minutes left jason you want to help us round it up and then um make sure liam has time to sign us off yeah surely i guess um Charmaine, this this question is sort of twofold um what is it like to be mixed in the workplace since you've been in a few work settings <laughs> and in hr and, <laughs> yeah totally exactly and then, <laughs> I think the final one which you like to end a lot of your podcasts with is um uh, what do you like most about being uh, mixed? Yeah, so uh, being mixed in the workplace is strange depending on what kind of environment I'm in. Um, and in the last, like, let's say 15 to 20 years, I've uh, 15 or years or so, I've mostly been in predominantly white spaces. And so in my most recent position that I was an employee as and I was in HR, I was viewed as one of the good ones, the or in some cases, the favorite brown of some of the white people that were in power. And that 
sucked. It was terrible to have that because I was constantly having, like, I would hear them undermine a brown person and be like, and they, and they would immediately say, see, they're not like you because blah, 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 blah. And then I would have to go, no, I'm exactly like that but I don't behave that way in front of you because I know you're going to say something racist like that. And so I would, I, I got to the point that I was like, go ahead and fire me at this point because I, I, I can't keep swallowing this stuff that I've been swallowing for all these years. So in my, mo in my last job where someone else paid my bills, um, I would let it, I would catch them constantly and I would hit them. And then uh, they were a progressive school. So they all had to work really hard on like, oh, no, you're right. You know, like that kind of stuff would happen. Um, and so in my cases, like there would be times that people didn't realize that they just knew that I was a brown person, but they didn't realize I was black and they'd be caught talking about someone black or they didn't realize I was Asian and they'd be caught talking about someone who's Asian. And for me, it didn't matter what I was mixed with. It mattered that they decided to say something inappropriate around me about a brown person at all. And, um, you know, I had different ways of managing it when I was younger. And usually it ended up being me like smiling through my teeth and swallowing it up and inventing at home. But yeah, in my last position, I was, I was just like, let them fire me for this at this point. Cause I need to, I, I needed to push back. I, I couldn't turn, you know, the cheek on it anymore. Um, but what I do think is important about being a Brown person in HR and I think being mixed is, is helpful in this regard, but I think any brown person almost probably could handle this better is that because we deal with a lot of society's disenfranchisement, we're, we're in a better position to help employees than any time I've experienced a white HR person. Um, the How much work I have to do to get them to help me in a situation versus how much work, how little work I have to do to help other people depending on what they are in when they come into my office was quite a bit different and so yeah being being mixed in the workplace is weird especially if they don't know what you are and and their attempts at not being problematic almost always reveals extremely problematic behaviors you know like you're Chinese right Charmaine and I'm like nope Japanese well you know same thing blah 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 blah. you know like you've heard it you know you have you um or, or just the mispronunciation of my name or the fact that they try to over black my name because they're identifying it as a very black name. And so they'll like call me Charmony or Charmone or something like that. Or the worst one, they just call me Char because they don't wanna try and I will never under any circumstances allow anybody to call me Char. So yeah, it's workplace mixedness is, you know, it's uh, not my favorite. Um, and then the other question. So the reason why I, I actually stole this from my friend's podcast, uh, Wild Black is a, is a podcast that started around the same time as I did, um, but he's way surpassed me in terms of audience. Uh, it's great. Uh, as an icebreaker question to their guests in the middle of the show, they ask, um, what do you love most about being, of life while black? And so I took that and just started asking people at the end of the show, because my show was really heavy in the beginning. Like it was people's first time talking about mixedness and it's kind of the start of people being more open online about being mixed. And so like it tears every episode pretty much in the beginning. And so I would try to deflect from that heaviness by saying like, on a good note, what do you love most about living, you know, as a mixed person? And I would get such interesting questions, like such interesting answers. And sometimes I get like, people are not prepared. So they've like, they've never thought about what they actually like about it. And so you get those kind of awkward ones. But, but for me, what I love most about being mixed is, is the ability that I have to be empathetic quicker to situations that 
aren't from my cultural heritage is because I understand what it's like to have to switch between, you know, being black in this moment, being Japanese in this moment, doing British stuff, like, like, and depending on where I'm at, I have to jump, you know, it's, it's a positive side for me of the code switching thing uh, of that, because I've been trained to do that so much. When I hear someone from a different group experience something, I, I get it a lot quicker, I think. Um, and then because of that, because of how many cultures I experience, um, I, I just enjoy learning about other people's cultures and, and doing my best to appreciate them and not appropriate them. And I think I have access in a way that um, monoracial people might not have because my, my empathy is really high. And, um, and so I, I credit my mixedness to being why I have such high empathy. All right. Thanks so much, Charmaine. So we're at time. If y'all got to leave, thank you for joining us. Thanks again for having me. That was fun. Armando hopes to be as smart as you someday. <laughs> what? <laughs> just start a podcast about something and just only talk about that for the next four years and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one you can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.